Welcome to Drilled, the There Will Be Fraud series. In short weekly episodes, we're going to be covering the ongoing ways that the fossil fuel industry is using the COVID-19 pandemic to push all sorts of deregulation, secure funding for itself, and get up to various other things. Today, I am joined by Justin Mikulka. He is a reporter for Desmog, and he's been looking at the financial straits of the fossil fuel industry, and particularly shale gas companies, for the last couple of years, way before anybody else, Justin was pointing out that, hey, these companies have never made a profit. Seems weird. Last week, Justin published a story about how the biggest obstacles to a bailout for shale gas companies right now might surprise you. It's Exxon and Chevron, joined by the American Petroleum Institute. We get into why that is in this episode. Here's my conversation with Justin. If you're listening to this show, you are probably at least climate curious. And one thing that I get asked all the time is, okay, I understand that this is a big problem. We need to act now, but what can I do? The climate crisis can feel like such a huge, overwhelming problem, which is why this April, former U.S. Vice President Al Gore and the Climate Reality are holding a free training on what's happening with the climate and what we can personally do. And actually, I'm going to be part of that training. It all happens in New York City, April 12th through the 14th, and it's going to be big, really big. If you want to know what climate change means for your future, your career, your part of the country or the world, this training is for you. You'll get to hear straight from former U.S. Vice President Al Gore, and a lineup of incredible thought leaders, scientists, experts, and more at the top of their fields. I'll be doing a training on climate disinformation as part of this. You'll come away with a real understanding of what's happening to the planet and the skills to make a difference. If you complete the training, you'll join the Climate Reality Leadership Corps, a community of nearly 50,000 change makers all over the world. To learn more and apply, visit climaterealityproject.org slash new dash York. That's climaterealityproject.org slash new dash York. I hope to see you there. Environmental justice is a talking point in every politician's toolkit. But do you ever wonder where it all began? On this week's Throughline, we're taking you back to 1978, where a fight against a toxic dump in North Carolina started the environmental justice movement. Join NPR's Climate Week and listen to Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe I could have you start by talking a little bit about why it might be that the larger oil companies don't want a bailout for the the sort of smaller independent shale companies. You know, there's currently the international price war going on, uh, you know, between the Saudis and Russia. And, you know, obviously that's driving the the price of oil down, which is is hurting the U.S. industry. 
what's hurting the most is the shale companies because they've uh, failed to make money for the past decade uh, right. and have a lot of debts that they need to pay back. And so, but the situation we're in right now is the two majors, Chevron and Exxon, who are already into the shale business in a big way in the Permian region, which is really the last shale play that anyone wants to be in because it's the only one that really still is profitable in, in any way. So if you, you step back from the global price war going on, there's a, a war going on in the Permian region where Exxon and Chevron are happy to see no bailouts for the shale companies because that will make them go bankrupt more quickly. Right. Uh, and then Chevron and Exxon more so because Chevron is in a much stronger position. Uh, yeah. Exxon has overpaid for a lot of assets in the past. And so mm -hmm. they're looking at this as a real opportunity to hopefully bankrupt, you know, watch the shale companies go bankrupt and then buy those Permian assets for pennies on the dollar. Mm -hmm. Where does that leave Oxy in the Permian? Well, speaking of shale gas, uh, one of the reasons Exxon wants to pick up assets cheap is because they made one of the worst uh, acquisitions ever in 2009 when they bought XTO, which was their uh, way to get into the shale market, uh, mostly gas at that point. They paid $41 billion for it, and, and it, it probably was worth a, a billion dollars a couple of years later. So, oh, wow. But right now, uh, Oxy is uh, looking to take uh, maybe take the place in the history books as the worst, you know, worse than the XTO acquisition by uh, Exxon. Uh, similar price tag of $38 billion. That's what they paid for Anadarko. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's just turned out to be a disaster. But an important part of that story is Chevron had a, an offer of $33 billion for, for Anadarko. Uh, and then they, Occidental uh, came in and, and, and uh, Anadarko wanted to get a, a bidding war going. And Chevron just backed out and said, we're not overpaying, you know, 33 is our highest offer. And so uh, 38 was the offer that came through from Occidental. So, you know, you can see in hindsight, Chevron made a very smart move. Plus they got, because they're already in negotiations, they got a billion dollar payout just for walking away. Wow. Uh, which they use to buy back stock. So Chevron has paid very little for their assets in, in the Permian. They seem to not be uh, desperate in any way, whereas Occidental certainly overpaid for those assets. And it looks like even Warren Buffett, who put in $10 billion into that deal, and his explanation for it was he believed in the Permian as, you know, as a viable you know, oil producing field where you could make profits. And mm -hmm. uh, here we are a year later, and it's looking like even Warren Buffett's going to lose money on this deal. So yeah. the, the Permian is really where money goes to die at this point. Can you talk a little bit about why the Anadarko purchase was, was a bad one? And what made it seem like it was worth that much money initially? And why has it turned out to be a bad purchase? With all of these shale plays, you know, wells and, and certain regions have been profitable, but um, on on the whole, the industry and you know these shale plays on the whole, most of the wells are not profitable. So, the idea of overpaying for an asset when you you probably you know you're not going to make money, even if you paid fair market value, uh, Occidental certainly overpaid for it. You know, they paid five billion dollars more than Chevron was willing to pay. The companies make these mistakes where they think scale is going to help uh, and they wanted to acquire more assets and become a, a major player in the game and I mean they wiped out a year ago Occidental stock was around $67 and you know now it's around 10 and so they've saddled themselves with all this debt uh, which is the classic model for a shale company you know you right. borrow right. money to get these wells 
but you have to keep getting more wells because they deplete so quickly. So at a time when the, 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 the industry already, I mean, it was clear, uh, you know, I started writing about how the industry wasn't making money uh, two years ago. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty clear a year ago um, that, that there were serious structural problems in the finances of the shale industry. And then they went in and over, you know, it's the classic buying at the top of a market. They overpaid. Yeah. And now they're just getting, I mean, so much equity has been wiped out. And then that was even before, you know, the, the oil prices right now are, you know, if you look at, you know, the stock ticker, it says oil prices are $20 a share. But in, in Texas, uh, you know, in, in the Permian, they're probably getting $10 a barrel. Um, wow. In the Bakken, in some places, it's between 5 and 10 mm -hmm. uh, So, uh, you, I mean, there's just, they, I mean, it's, it's going to be just a downward spiral for all these companies. Mm -hmm. which is exactly what Exxon and Chevron are, are enjoying watching and waiting for uh, so that they can then buy up the assets. Why are companies continuing to invest in this given that it is a collapsing industry? Yeah, well, what, what Buffett did, apparently the, the CEO of Occidental had a 90-minute conversation with him and convinced him to, to put the $10 billion into the deal for the acquisition for Anadarko. Wow. Uh, probably he should have done a little bit more homework um, you would have expected from Buffett. But yeah. what he did do, it's, it's the same thing he did during the housing crisis. Goldman Sachs w was insolvent and Warren Buffett came in and gave them $10 billion. Mm -hmm. uh, but what he does, you know, he's, the way these are structured is if the company makes any money, he's first in line. He has preferred status. Right. And so it's a pretty safe bet unless uh, Occidental goes bankrupt. Right. Uh, which there's, I think, a real chance of now. What's happening right now is they're looking, instead of paying him back with money in dividends, because they don't have any anymore, they're looking at paying him back a stock, which were, is all well and good if, if they survive and the oil price goes back up, then he does very well. Right. If they, if they go bankrupt, he's, he's uh, in trouble just like everyone else. Okay, so see... Oxy goes out of business, a bunch of these small shale companies go out of business, Exxon and Chevron pick up cheap property in the Permian, but the price war continues for like another year or who knows how long. Like I think, I think ultimately like the Saudis and the Russians can withstand a low oil price for longer than, than any U.S. company. And so is there a point where like even, you know, Exxon and Chevron would be in trouble with those assets? Well, I, and that's the thing. Um, I'm actually writing an article about that right now. Um, huh. Exxon, you know, there's this kind of this mythology that, well, once Exxon comes in, they know how to make money on these, you know, these properties um, mm -hmm. and, and make money in the shale business. But all you have to do is look at the XDO deal uh, mm -hmm. to show that they're not the best judge of investing in shale. But Goldman Sachs just came out with a basically a research note on the shale industry this week. And one of the things that they noted was uh, Exxon and Chevron have no ability to produce oil more cheaply than any of these other companies, uh, right. so, which really makes sense. I mean, companies like Pioneer have been doing this for a long time. You know, they hire the best people and they understand shale very well. So it's not like Exxon can come in and, and just has some magic formula to be able to make money when oil is $30 a barrel. Right. So I expect Exxon to continue losing money on shale, but you know, if you look at their corporate strategy, you know, basically what they're saying is we're going to acquire as much oil as we can and we're going to produce it and we, we plan to burn every last drop for the next, you know, three to five decades. Right. And so this is a, you know, there is oil in the Permian, uh, mm -hmm. in that shale. It's just no one has figured out a way how to get it out of the ground 
profitably on a large scale. And right. the right. other thing that, that everyone is facing in a Permian, and, and the Bakken has already peaked, essentially, they've drilled all the best spots. So, you know, it's not like Exxon can go in and say, we're just going to, you know, we're going to pick up the best spots. Most of the sweet spots have already been drilled. So I don't foresee a future, especially if oil prices remain low, where Exxon uh, magically figures out how to make a profit in the Permian, even at $50 a barrel, because no one has consistently shown they can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Exxon right now has been borrowing money to pay its dividend which is just not a, a sustainable business model. And so this crisis is going to certainly be used, uh, one, as ways, you know, as you've talked about, they're going to get bailouts in, in some way, mm-hmm. uh, uh, whether it's from the Fed or through, from these big slush funds. And, and certainly at one point, Trump tweeted out about the oil industry and he, he specifically used the, the phrase national security. Right. Uh, and so, you know, they're going to, you know, they're certainly going to try to do those things, but, Again, Exxon and Chevron do not want those shale companies bailed out. And there's right. right now, just this week, the CEO of Scott Sheffield of Pioneer and then the CEO of Parsley have written a letter to the Texas regulatory agency asking for production cuts, basically saying, you need to step in and tell the Texas producers, we need to limit production so we can bring prices back up. And so, I mean, that's unprecedented to ask for, you know, control of the, the markets, the free markets in America. But in the reporting on that, they, you know, just the two sentences that matter or the one sentence was Chevron and Exxon do not support production cuts. So once again, you know, the shale companies are trying whatever they can do to stay alive. And at every turn, Chevron and Exxon and the American Petroleum Institute are stepping in in the way and you know they just have more power. That's it for this time. Again, we're going to be doing ongoing reporting to track exactly what the fossil fuel industry is getting up to while the world is distracted by a pandemic. The season is a total surprise and completely unbudgeted for. So if you would like to support our reporting, we could really use that support right now. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash drilled. You get all sorts of things for signing up, including ad-free episodes, access to early content, bonus episodes, and more. I'd like to give a shout out to our first patrons. We have just under 50, so this is going to be quite a list. And I'm sorry I meant to start doing these earlier, but time got away from me. So big thanks to Caitlin Cropwell, Chris Howell, Claire Curtis, Curtis King, DL, Daniel Woldorf, David Michaels, David Weisskopf, Donald Shaw, Eflin Mercier, Emily Grubert, Emma Kelly, Ian McDowell, Irina Ivanova, Jamie Fultz, Jeff Spakowski, Jess, Joseph Jakuda, Catherine Wilkinson, Keith Anderson, Leah Stokes, Mary Stanley, Matthew Erickson, Michael Koo, Mike Bell, Miranda Massey, Nick Offerman, Nora Lehman, Patrick, and I'm sorry for the folks that just have one name here. They didn't include their last names in their signups, so <laughs> I'm sorry for not giving you a bigger shout out. Send me your last name if you want me to acknowledge you properly. Paul Johnston, Rachel Budaberg, Ramona Liberoff, Rich Bunnell, Rick Smith, Russell Chisholm, Ryan Beam, Sage Welch, Sam Larson, Sarah Ventry, Sean Dogway, Stephen Parati, Sudanshu Jane, 
Susie Hairston, Tatiana Lujan, Timothy Ross, Zachary Franklin, and Zachary Kramer. You guys are awesome. Seriously, I can't even begin to thank you. It's it's very, very kind to see people willing to support us without us really even asking that much. So I appreciate it. We are going to be in closer contact with you in the coming weeks and sending you all kinds of stuff to make your membership worthwhile. But we do very much appreciate your support of our work. If you want to join them and get your name in the credits, again, that is patreon.com slash drilled. We'll put a link in the show notes too. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.